Well, the product for us syndicators is the property or the pool that we're doing. Pricing and engineering that product is financial analysis. The best syndicators I know are all excellent financial analysis people. They make their choices objectively and based on the data and their facts. They tune their projections to maximize both their return for their investors and the return for themselves. And they have meaningful conversations about money. They're not afraid to go into the details about the way that engine works. In our top-level mastermind, uh, the Altitude Syndication Founders Club, we spend a lot of time talking about financial analysis because it literally is the engine for what we do. It drives what we sell and how we talk with our investors. The more we know about the numbers, the more we, tr uh, we earn the trust of our investors and the better we perform in our investments. So in this module, we're gonna take a first look at the Altitude four-step financial analysis system and how to get started at being an expert yourself in underwriting. All right, so financial analysis. Let's go ahead and switch to our whiteboard. So the Altitude four-step financial analysis system is obviously broken into four steps. The first step is to understand what our basic facts and assumptions. Right, so this is composed of facts, assumptions and market data. So those facts that just are facts. I mean, they're just the reality of the world. The building is 15,000 square feet. That's a fact, right? It's not going to change. The address is whatever the address is. Those are the basic facts that drive everything. There are also some numbers that are specific facts as well. If you need to know what tax rates are, the tax rates are facts. The amount of property taxes that you're going to pay may or may not be a fact, depending on what jurisdiction you're in. In California, ours is based off of the sales price. We're an exception. Most is based off of an appraised value that, that deviates uh, maybe every two years. So they are not as much of facts as, uh, as you would think, but there are still facts underlying it because you have the mill rate on those, that assessed value, which is a fact that mill rate isn't going to change anytime soon unless there's, you know, obviously legislation for it. So facts, then there are your assumptions. So those are things like, well, I'm going to estimate that rent growth is 3%, or I'm going to estimate that the increase in my expenses is at 2%. We're gonna get into a little bit more detail about this in just a minute, but I wanted to give you an idea. Those are the assumptions that we go in and make, uh, we may, are making. Now, I also lump market data into here because from the market data, we can build better assumptions. So I said before that 3% was our rent growth uh, per year. Now, 
what does it look like historically? We can see that from market data, what has that rent growth been? Maybe it's been 3%, maybe it's been 5%, maybe it's been 1%. Whatever it is, that can drive how your assumptions are. The better that you know what your facts are and what your assumptions are, and that your assumptions are assumptions, the assumption knowledge you can have meaningful conversations with your investors because you're talking about something objectively. So you can describe that, well, when we did this analysis, we were assuming that rent growth would be 3% per year because we did the market research and most of the properties around us were actually at 4% per year, uh, but a few were at 2%. So we decided to split the difference be a little bit more conservative and assume that rent growth was gonna be just 3% per year. And that's why we have the IRR of 17 rather than judging it based on a, a, what may turn out to be a false rent growth rate of 4%. See, once you know that that's an assumption, you can have that kind of conversation very straightforward and you can talk to investors like that. Now I did that just off the top of my head because I've done it for long enough and I know that it's an assumption, right? So that's why we need to outline that. The next step is our NOI and potential value. So from here, all of that information from basic facts and assumptions leads into this conversation of NOI and potential value. NOI, we'll go through that in detail uh, in just a minute on how NOI is calculated in case you don't know. And even if you do know, I'd recommend still watching it because we're gonna go into a little bit different way to look at this than you've probably seen before. Um, NOI and potential value, your potential value may be the, the sales price or the actual value of the, of the property itself. This is important because it figures into how we calculate our exits and uh, how, what assumptions we take into those as well. The next step after NOI and potential value is cash flow. you know, how we look at what cash is coming in, those things that are not part of NOI, but still get spent. Biggest one of them obviously is your financing. You know, how does taking debt affect your uh, analysis and your property? Are you choosing the right kind of debt or not? The last step is performance. This is where your projections are that you will be talking with your investors about. So what are those, uh, you know, what sort of purchase and sale? Uh, what are the measures of it? Our, how, what does our cash on cash look like? What does our IRR look like? What do those look like in order to be able to have that? Now that's where you're gonna start your conversation most likely with your investors. So, but as you'll see, you cannot do have a conversation about performance if you don't understand the cash flow. If you don't understand the cash flow, it just doesn't make any sense. You cannot have a good conversation about it. Also, you can't have a good conversation about cash flow without understanding the NOI of the property. It doesn't make any sense. You just wouldn't be able to have that because NOI comes first.
then you cannot have understand your NOI at all unless you understand what your basic facts and assumptions are. You can't put an NOI together without understanding that. So let's go into a little bit of detail just to make sure that you understand how these are calculated. So in our basic facts and assumptions, obviously we want to know things like our, our, our growth rates and things like that. I'm going to take you through a very simplified way of looking at how to do the financial analysis. And if you want more detail, we have other programs that can go into that in much, much more detail. Uh, contact us and we can have that conversation if you want to have uh, uh, more understanding, which you should so that you can have better conversations. So in terms of calculating NOI, so NOI is, is basically a objective measure of exactly where the property is at any given point, right? We consider it objective because there are two kinds of costs. We're going to talk about costs in just a minute, but it, we consider it to be an objective thing. So it all starts with your gross income. And so this is your rents. It starts with your rents, right? Most of these are income producing properties. So this property is producing rent. They pay it every month. Uh, those rents can be whatever it is, uh, but we start with the rents. Now, if we're going to go also with the assumption here that those rents are that you have a fully occupied building that we're looking at. Uh, you do it slightly differently when it is a um, when it's not fully occupied, uh, but for our purposes, we'll just talk about the rents uh, as if it's fully occupied. So you have rents, and then you also have other income, right? You may or may not, but for an apartment building, you'll have other income in the forms of your laundry most of the time, or in a um, in a office building, you may have other income in terms of uh, other sort of uh, things that just take place in the building. Maybe there is a cell tower or maybe there's something like that that produces other income for the property. Now, I remove this from the other piece of it that we add, and I'm just going to call it my CAMS. Um, and by CAMS, we the CAMS stands for Common Area Maintenance. I call it, I call it all sorts of things, really. I mean, I call it cams. I call it pass-throughs a lot. Also, um, I'm talking about all of the operating uh, expenses that we pass on to the tenants to pay. So there's obviously different lease types. Uh, there are ones where the tenant pays every kind of thing that we can pass through, uh, property taxes, uh, expenses, electricity, all those expenses uh, get passed on to the tenant. That's a triple net lease. Um, but there's also in your office buildings and in your industrial buildings, it tends to be a little bit different what gets passed on to the tenant. It tends to be things like we set a uh, it over any increase of our operating expenses each year can be passed on to the tenant. So not the entry level, but every increase. And we call that a modified gross lease. Uh, or sometimes you'll hear referred to as an industrial gross lease. The third, um, uh, or in the case of an apartment building, there's no pass-throughs typically that go on to the tenant either. But so 
out of those, if you add all those up, we have the gross potential income. I guess I should say, um, so this is, so we have two kinds of rent. I would said that we would use it as 100%, but here's how you do it if you didn't have a fully occupied building. You'd have the actual rents that are being paid, um, and that's, that's there. And then you'd have this other category here, and that is your, um, your marked up rents. So you mark up your vacancies to market, and they can be added on this portion as well in order to get your gross potential rent. Now, once you, uh, gross potential income. Uh, one thing that then you can, you do is we subtract out of our gross potential income, our vacancy and credit risk. So we subtract those out and that gives us, um, it may give us our, um, our, uh, let's put it here. Let's do this. Um, so we subtract that out and then we can add back another category of other income. This is different. Other income, not subject to vacancy. Now, why did I do this? And I'm making it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be, um, but I just kind of want to give you as much information as possible so you understand how this works. And fortunately, this is on video, so you can watch it over and over so that you really get it. Um, and then again, please feel free to reach out to us and we can go into any of these in a lot more detail. So uh, we can talk about uh, the different programs that we have to make this happen for you. So. Why other income not subject to vacancy? Because this other income here, this other income is being adjusted by this vacancy and credit risk. It's being reduced. So that kind of other income is the best possible example is, a, is a, an apartment building. So if you have an apartment building that is 100% leased, and let's say it's generating $500 a month in laundry. So 100% leased, $500 in laundry. Now, what do you think would happen if suddenly you went down to 50% leased? You probably are going to have your laundry other income cut in half as well. So that's why it is being adjusted by this vacancy and credit risk here. So there's other income that we don't say is subject to vacancy. Now that's probably something like a cell tower or a billboard or something like that. Now, yes, they could be, uh, they could go, uh, they could up and leave or something like that, but it probably has a significantly different vacancy factor than your regular units that you're renting out. So after we do this, so let me make this clear. This is an equal sign. Um, after we figure out what our gross potential income is, subtract our vacancy and our credit risk, add back the other income that's not subject to vacancy. Now we have our net income, right? So now we have net income. So 
now what do we need to do? Now we've got net income, we need to get to net operating income. The next step is we have to subtract our operating expenses. So I'm gonna write that over here. Operating expenses. So now we've got um, all of those things that we have to pay. Now, I said earlier that there are two kinds of expenses in the world. We have what we call above the line costs and we have below the line costs. Above the line costs, which is what we're talking about here, these are the operating expenses. The above the line costs are objective, everybody has to pay them kinds of things. So what kind of operating expenses are we talking about? We're talking about property taxes, right? You gotta pay your taxes. That's objective, no one's getting around it. You've got to pay your insurance. I'm writing these in the order that I typically do them into. Uh, you have to pay for insurance. Uh, if you have a loan on it, you definitely need it. Uh, it's probably, uh, you're probably doing an incredible disservice to your investors if you don't have insurance on your on the property. Um, so you everybody pays for insurance. We still consider management an above the line cost. Now, yes, you do not need to manage the property yourself, but you, uh, but, uh, or you could manage it yourself and so it wouldn't necessarily be a cost, but there still is a component to it that is objective. It, the building still needs to be managed. And even if you're doing it yourself and not charging, your, uh, charging the investment for it, which would be a mistake, that's money that you could be making, but even if you're not doing that, it's still taking your time and so it's kind of an inherent cost to the project. Uh, then we've got repairs and maintenance. Right, you always have to repair the building. Uh, even if it's um, even if it's thing, even if you have a full triple net lease, there's still repairs and maintenance because most of the time, even in a triple net lease, there are expenses that the tenant doesn't pay for. Um, a number of them are roof and structure things like that. And even if they are things that they pay for, you still got to calculate them all so that you can pass them on to the tenant, right? Uh, other than repairs and maintenance, you've got utilities. And um, so this is, you know, your water, power, gas, uh, those types of things. Uh, those are objective. They all need to be on a building. Um, and then you've got things like portage uh, and contract services. So uh, there's different kinds of things. You may have pest control. Uh, trash, portage, janitorial, things like that. I'm going to just call them uh, portage and contract services for our purposes here. And those are the big categories of the operating expenses. Are there more? Yeah, but these are the biggies, right? So um, we add all those up and now we have the uh, our operating expenses. And now the reason that I lined it up, actually, let's just do it this way. The reason I put it like this, so this is our net income. 
right? We bring down, we bring those over here. So this is minus our operating expenses. And now we've got the magical NOI. So that's how we calculate NOI. Um, and then if we wanted to take the potential value, it's really a simple, uh, a simple measure. Uh, the actual value or the value of anything is calculated by the NOI divided by the cap rate. The cap rate is an, a, um, you, is one of those assumptions that comes from market data by looking at similar properties that are similarly situated and what, uh, what they would calc, what they, uh, their cap rate would be. So if a building selling at a 6% cap, then such and such, you know, 7% uh, uh, would be different. So if you go up in numbers of your cap rate, the less expensive the value is because we got cap rate in the denominator. So that's how we calculate um, NOI and potential value. I don't want this to scare you off. Here's the best way to learn this and be really, really good at this. And I uh, learned this technique from my mentor. So there are a lot of calculators out there in the world that are terrific. Excel uh, has them, and we're going to be, uh, we have one as well that we use. Actually, we have two, um, but through this, uh, one is available. Uh, and then we have a much more sophisticated one we have for, th for the members of Altitude Syndication Founders Club. Now, in... Um, so you could do everything in Excel, and it would be very, very simple. I think it's a mistake to do that right way too fast. I think you should do it on paper. Uh, that's the way I did it. I spent months doing every single calculation on paper. So I would write it down like this. That's how I can spit it all out very, very quickly without notes because I just have done it so many times on paper that now it's not only part of my DNA, but I see how each little cog moves. Uh, I call them levers, and that's a more advanced step on how we work with levers uh, within uh, this, this system. So that's how you calculate NOI and potential value. Let's talk a little bit about cash flow. Cash flow is very, is very simple. It is, you take your NOI, and now you minus all those below the line costs. So what is the, the big below the line cost? Well, the biggest one that really affects everything is your debt service. So debt service is expensive, right? That's going to be a big, 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 big portion of your bill if you take on financing uh, from debt. So uh, that's a big expense for you. You've also got your... Um, but you also don't have to do it. That's why we call it a below the line cost uh, because it's optional. Now for your investment, you decide that you want to do debt, terrific. Um, now, minus uh, other kinds of expenses. Um, now, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about capital expenses or things that are kind of inherent to the... Um, to the investment. 
In this case, also, because we're talking about syndication, asset management fees. Asset management is a below-the-line cost. Somebody who's just a mom pa and they own it for themselves, they are not paying an asset manager. So the, and it's not objective that they should be. So asset management is one of those uh, below-the-line costs. Then we also have things like reserves. You know, so that we have money put away uh, and we're continually putting money away in order to take care of any capital cost or any unforeseen uh, things. So notice I don't do a calculation for taxes here uh, in terms of income taxes. That's typically because if you go through, uh, well, if you go through the, like the CCIM program or things like that, a lot of time is spent on taxes. Most of the time, the way we're structuring our deal, those taxes are passed off straight to our investors, and it isn't anything that we deal with as a syndicator um, on this level. Now, obviously, we're still producing those tax documents that they need in order to do their taxes, but we're not calculating any measures or anything with taxes, typically. And so now we've got our cash flow before taxes. And I sometimes give, uh, in some of our worksheets, we do uh, do the calculation of after taxes. Generally, though, not. It's mostly there for the convenience because uh, if you also are acting as a commercial real estate agent, um, you may want that information in order to have a conversation with your, your client. So that is the discussion of cash flow. So this goes here. This is here. Now, performance. This is where we now, the rubber meets the road, right? Because what we're talking about um, is how do we have a meaningful conversation with a potential investor? So when we're talking about performance, first, I need to understand all of this, especially this cash flow before taxes. I need to understand that. I also need to understand what this value piece is and how much I'm going to be buying the property for. And then in as part of my cash flow analysis, too, I need to understand my debt service because I need to know exactly how much money in equity I'm looking for people uh, looking from people. So it start performance starts with the purchase price, right? I need to understand what the price of the investment starts in at. This is not the purchase price of the investment. This is the purchase price of the property. Uh, there are going to be other costs that go on this as well. So we've got the purchase price of the property. Then we've got the costs of the syndication. These are things that we talked about in terms of fees, like what is your, do you have an acquisition fee? Or do you have uh, a, you know, a finance fee? Or things like that in order to get the, get it done and forward. You also have the uh, additional uh, thing of how are you going to make money? So that kind of goes out here. How 
are you making money? So that's always the thought that's going on in our head is, is my investor getting a, a good investment and am I making money? Uh, so we've got the cost of the investment. We've got to identify what our ideal hold period is. And this is an assumption. Um, and then we've got to figure out what our, um, what our exit strategy looks like and estimate it. Oops. Right. So at the end of the day, what I've got is, and this may or may not look familiar to you, but I've got this, um, this bar here. And at the very beginning, I've got, uh, my, the price that the investor invested in it. Now, typically I do thousand dollar shares. So this is from the investor's uh, eyes that this, that's why it's a minus because he gave us $1,000. Now in year one, what's happened? We've gotten those rents. We've got this cash flow here that is coming in and paying in one, two, three, four, five. Um, so we've got, let's say we're making, um, so for that thousand dollars, let's say we're making $60 a year, but we actually have increases. That's why it's a cash flow. That's why you need to know your growth. Um, so, uh, in year two, we, it, let's say it's 62, let's say I'm, I'm in the, just for ease, I'll just put easy numbers and then uh, in year five, it's 68, right? Okay. So now we've decided that it's $68, uh, is the cash flow in year five, but there's another piece of cash flow because we decided this was a five-year hold plus the revision. So once we sell the property, that money also goes back to the investor. And so let's say we sell that for $1,500. Now we've got an actual investment of, um, uh, that we can use. So let's, uh, look real quick and we'll just put in what that, uh, what that looks like. Uh, got my calculator off to the side. And I'm making these numbers up. So if it doesn't work out, that's why. <laughs> Oops. So we've got this, uh, investment here. Let's do a IRR calculation. IRR stands for internal rate of return. What it is, is it basically says during this whole time period here that we're holding on to the property, what is the annualized percentage uh, of growth of that property? Now, IRR needs to be a positive number, otherwise it's unreliable. Oops, oh, perfect. 
Um, so in this case, we've got an IRR of 14%. So um, off the top of my head, that's a little bit lower than I typically do. Actually, it's 13.92% um, is what the growth rate would be for this uh, property. Now, what I am doing all the time is I'm actually going back and forth and back and forth through this. So part of the financial analysis system is once you've identified all of these, you know what the NOI is, you spread out that NOI to figure out what the NOI is estimated to be for years two, three, four, and five, which is what we're still doing here in order to, and somewhere in between here, between the, the NOI and the cash flow, and then subtracting out those ex other expenses, those below the line costs in cash flow in order to come up with, uh, uh, with what our year one, two, three, four, five is. We calculate our reversion by taking our NOI on the last year or in, the, in year six, really, and then dividing that by our estimated exit cap rate. Um, so we'll put, so you can see it. So that is year six NOI divided by the um, cap rate. So let me make extra clear the exit cap rate. And then you end up with a, um, then you end up with uh, what that exit value is. So then we use all of this to calculate the IRR. And now what I am doing as a syndicator is I'm trying to find how in my business plan can I drive the IRR up for my, uh, for my investors? And I drive it up, this should connect with you now, I drive that up to the point of the risk level, that risk profile from my founder's investment theory. So I'm always, I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing. I don't want it to get above the point of the normal risk profile amount for my founder investment theory. Because what I can do is when I reach that, so I'm driving that up, right? If my founder investment theory level is here at say 16%, I really want it to be a 16% return, but I actually can drive it comfortably up to here through adding value or things like that. This spread is my money. That's the money that I make as a syndicator. That's the money that's going in my pocket. So I'm pushing up my IRRs. I'm pushing up my fees that I'm charging. I'm taking more of the piece of the pie until it balances out at a point where the IRR is acceptable and believable and 
we're not doing this to drive it up in a way where it wouldn't work or it's not going to happen. We want to drive it up in our business plan to a reasonable, yes, I think that is totally achievable level because we really, really want to hit this point. When it comes time to sell, it's great when you get to tell your investors we hit our target or I exceeded, we exceeded the target by 2%, something like that. That makes them happy. That makes them trust you more. So you don't want to make it unrealistic. You don't want to come in and say, we're going to get a 20% IRR and then deliver a 10% IRR. They probably are going to be not so happy to invest with you again. But so I try and hit that number and then I figure out how can I take the rest of it for myself. That way they're making good money and then I'm making money. So that's the way this works. That's how financial analysis uh, is the whole uh, basis. We're always trying to drive up our, our value, trying to figure out how to squeeze as much juice out of the investment as would be reasonably possible in order to, uh, to create not only a good investment that investors are likely to go into, but then to create that additional amount of money for ourselves. So after you've done this financial analysis, you've brought in your properties, you've looked at them, you've finally, you've done the financial analysis, you've got the model that works. You've determined this property is green for launch, meaning it's ready to go. It is now time to leave the launch pad and let your syndication lift off. In the next series of modules, we're going to go through just how to do that. We're going to talk about how to launch your syndication.